the Taylor Swift economic boost. Like apparently her Eras tour has put like a billion plus dollars into the economy or something like this. She's going to be the next president. Welcome to the Ecom Chats Happy Hour podcast. I'm Mike Martis, the director of marketing at Finch. And I'm Nevin Zavell, the e-commerce product specialist at Finch. Nevin, it's Friday. It's the weekend. <laughs> That's right. It is. It is a Friday. We, we got our I drinks. Checked. We got our microphones. And that's all we need on a Friday, baby. So jumping in, we've been running through it. We've been doing the the Q4 readiness. And hey, as we record this, it's Q4. I mean, it's very end of Q3. So, you know, hopefully you were listening to our previous podcast and you started prepping when we started releasing those or preferably before that. We've been doing this and been looking at a lot of different things. How do you prep? What should you be planning to do? How do you warm your audience up? Speaking of audiences, Nevin. One of the biggest audience. Did you hear that the Taylor Swift economic boost, like apparently the tour, her era's tour has put like a billion plus dollars into the economy or something like this? She's going to be the next president. I'm seeing that the Swifties are like teaching each other how to play football now because she's dating one of the (laughs) KC Chiefs. And that's been one of the things that's given me so much life because it used to be Formula One because there was rumors she was dating Fernando Alonso. And now it's, I think it's Cleese uh, from the Chiefs. The Swifties are going to be such a like multifaceted knowledge base of, of people by the time she's done with her dating. They are single-handedly like one of the scariest groups on the internet. Them and uh, the Nicki Minaj fans, the Barb's. I'm gonna, I'm not even gonna talk about yeah. them because they're gonna like. Yeah, yeah, calm down. We don't need that kind of heat. Actually, you know what? I would take it at this point. Let's. <laughs> no, that is not the engagement you want, Mike. I have seen what happens when you tick off the stand cultures, and it's not good. Uh, let me add this one thing. So, as someone who, in a, a previous project I did, I'm a big Cincinnati Bengals fan. I know. Don't. I'm just sorry. don't. Don't get in the comments. I don't want to hear it. But I, I ran a YouTube channel, and this was after they drafted Joe Burrow, and you know, I was doing all this analysis. I played football. I. One of the funniest Taylor Swift TikToks I saw, it had a picture. It says Swifties in week three. And they're like asking questions, very fundamental football questions. Hey, why are they doing this? What is a down? What is a down? Okay, so you get three tries or four tries. And if you don't get it, then the other. And then it switched and it said Swifties in week 15. And they're calling out zone run fit schemes. And (laughs) they're they're, they're running a nickel cover one on the wide receiver. They're going to get smoked, you know, stuff like that. Listen, I'm a Formula One fan. We've been through this when everyone thought that Taylor Swift was dating Fernando Alonso, and that was a terrifying yeah. time to be an F1 fan. <laughs> if it lasts that long, will it be her longest lasting relationship? I'm not going to comment on this. I'm keeping I'm keeping out of Swifty business. That is not my forte. We're touching tangentially on a lot of power brokers in the online space, and I don't know if we, we're up for that. But what I can talk about is product brokers in the online space for e-commerce and really what that means for Q4. So... Swifty tangent aside, we have been analyzing kind of in order of how to prep for Black Friday and the Q4 rush before the Q4 rush hits. Then we talked about how to kind of attack your promotional strategy during Q4. And all of that is fantastic. And if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, please go back and listen to them because they're having a good Black Friday setup is is crucial, especially during this kind of year. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. But a big misconception that I see a lot about Black Friday is that it is a purely transactional period of time. Q4 is like purely transactional. It is all about hitting numbers. And while numbers are 
a, definitely a primary concern during any sort of Black Friday rush. What I think gets kind of slept on is the fact that you have probably the largest amount of traffic to your site than anywhere else during the year. And that is great for revenue numbers, but it's also really good for data and taking away learnings that you can bring into the next year. Marketers are always having to learn and adapt new data and continually optimize. Otherwise, like, what's the point of us being here? But the Black Friday can be an absolute treasure trove of information that you can use to optimize your site for the next year and then continuously spur that growth year over year for every Q4 to come. Look, you're going to you're going to naturally be collecting data by the nature of how carts work, right? You're going to have to get an email address that's going to be sent into your email list, that's first party data. You should always have a plan for how to re-engage those, but you should also have a plan how you may segment them based on what they bought, based on demographics maybe, if you sell products that maybe sell better or are targeted toward different demographics. One thing that's really interesting is let's say every 5 years or so, there's kind of a new generation, a kind of a micro generation is what I call it of online shoppers. These are people that are starting to make their own money, dis- discretionary money that they can spend however they want, right? So they're young people. But if you're not marketing, you need to re- be evaluating how you're messaging. If a core part of your e-commerce market is in that younger demographic, because the younger demographics are the ones who spend the most online. I'm looking at some data here from Mo Engage that says percentage wise, the younger the audience is, the more likely they are to be spending on Black Friday, Cyber Monday type deals for online shopping specifically, the older the audience is, the less likely. And that's that's common sense, it seems like, but you have to keep yeah. that in mind as well. And that's just part of the data and one way to start looking at it. There are literally hundreds of ways to parse your data and segment it and strategize with it, right? And I'd love to kind of jump in and break this down because when I'm looking at what data to take out as key learnings from any sort of Black Friday, Cyber Monday, or I guess just a Q4 rush. You want to divide it into, like Mike was saying, the first party data that's on your site. You want to be taking that into the actual data on how your site works to convert your audience. And then to start looking at the product data and to look at how you're going to be segmenting your product stack for the next year. So just to kind of start at the top with first party data, the most obvious is your email lists. Whenever you have people coming into your site, you should have lead capture form set up to immediately start getting people added to lists. Bonus discounts are huge here. I always love the ones. It feels like it's sort of the digital version of like the iPad that comes around with the tip is always the one that where it's like the enter your email for 15% off. And the only way to X out of it is the, no, I actually don't want to save money. <laughs> yeah, they shame you. Yeah, they do. They shame you a little bit. But those are fantastic for getting people into email lists and getting people into SMS lists. Sorry, as a marketer, real quick, I will say this. If you're collecting an email address, there needs to be a checkbox for them to opt in to receive deals, especially with GDPR and all kinds of data privacy stuff. That's a legal reason to do it. But just from a list clarity perspective for your own sanity, you're only sending your deals out to the people who say they want them, right? And I have data on this as well. People who receive emails from brands, the ones that they like the most and that they're most likely to interact with are going to be deals, 
deal announcements and new product releases, right? So, and this may be a different episode altogether, probably is, but what kinds of ways should you be using this data that you're collecting and what kinds of promotions and things like that? But yeah, that's another thing to keep in mind is what do you plan on doing with these emails that you're collecting? Like if you're collecting it in the cart, more than likely, they're already on their way to checking out. They've seen something they like, they like the price, they like something about what you're selling. You might as well ask them, hey, can I send you more stuff like this, right? Yeah, absolutely. And that can be huge as well, not just email lists. And email lists and SMS, I think, are fantastic systems that you can use for retention. SMS, I think, gets slept on a lot more than it really deserves to because SMS is a really, really powerful way to reach people. So being able to get people into email lists and being able to get people into SMS lists is, is going to be huge for customer retention, as well as being able to start a foundation to start building customer loyalty programs, which I know we've touched on on a couple of different episodes, but customer loyalty programs and any retention programs that you can do are going to be key to not just driving that first checkout value, but going to be trying to extend to an average lifetime value of the customer and trying to extend that as much as possible that you can get the most out of every single new customer acquisition that you're bringing in. Yes, and Nevin and I are going to continue to pound this drum. This isn't a seasonality message. This isn't a focus on this at this specific time message. This is a, if you're an e-commerce brand, you have to always be focusing on lifetime value. Look, for the past 15 years plus, the percentage of retail sales that happen online have been growing and growing and growing, right? We're at about almost 15% right now. So of the total U.S. retail sales that happen, 15% or so happen online in lieu of going to a box store, going to some kind of store in person and buying things. That data has not plateaued, but it is starting to show signs of doing that. Now, there are a lot of factors that could show like a single year dip, right? And so we've seen inflation this year, for example, has probably caused that to dip a little bit. And so we'll have to wait until next year to see if that keeps going up or not. As that data does start to plateau, and it will at some point, there's no way it's reaching 100%, right? It's just not going to happen. Well, I mean, it might in 50 years, but you know, as it... As it plateaus now, it's going to be more and more important that you get your lifetime value numbers up, right? Because there's going to be start to become a finite audience and a finite amount of money that you're fighting for from an online sales perspective. Definitely. And I think that being able to kind of dance the line between new customer acquisition and bringing in new customers and then extending out that lifetime value as much as possible is going to be crucial to retaining your revenues and to be keeping things forward. Because the price of new customer acquisition is rising and the two options that you have are to either continually come back and try and hit, you know, your recurring customers and your returning customers to try and gain more money out of them. But at the same time, you do need to be bringing in new customers because that returning customer has a, a life cycle attached to it. You need to be able to be consistently bringing new people into the fold as well as trying to reattach and there is a perfect balance to be struck there and that balance is going to be different for every single company and right. that is one that you need to start looking at your first party data and you need to start looking at your email list the statistics from your email marketing campaigns the statistics from your sms marketing campaigns because that will give you a good lead on how long a single customer is interacting with your brand yeah. And the reason that, that we're talking about it in conjunction with Q4 readiness a series of, of episodes here is because you're going to get a big, fresh, new influx of users 
that you can measure, that you can set up experiments to see what works best from a lifetime value perspective. How do I re-engage them down the road, right? You're going to get a bunch of people who have net new clients, right? Like the kind of holy grail of e-commerce nowadays, net new customers. You're going to get a bunch of those. If you're doing everything that we've been asking you to do it in these past episodes, you're going to get a bunch of net new customers. Those are data kind of gold mines. You should be paying attention to those, how they reconvert, how often they come back, because then you can start to define what your best potential customers look like, right? Yeah. And then one final point just on the first party data is that if you have the capability to do so is to leverage demand side platform. If you're using something like the trade desk, if you're using something like a stack adapt, even something like a Critio, if you're using any sort of DSP software to advertise, absolutely keep track of the audience data and continually use that to update your, your lookalike lists and to try and keep that audience data as current as possible through Black Friday. Because like we said earlier, you're going to have the largest influx of traffic. It is going to be the big influx of new customers. And the demographic data behind that is going to influence how you're making your decisions. Yeah, no, I just want to say one more thing about DSP. So in the world of DSP, the reason it's so powerful for this time of year, like even if you only use it in Q4, is because A, you're going to get this big influx of traffic. Right now, attribution and tracking are, are very big issues on all of the digital market. It's not just B to C. It's not just, it's B to B. It's everything. It's difficult to track people now. It's difficult to figure out where they went and what they did before they converted a lot of times. DSP cuts through that because they're able to use unified ID. They're able to use different ways to track people and serve ads to these audiences in where they go online. You don't have to guess where they're going to be, right? You, basically where, where they're going is where the ad's going to go with them. And then once they convert, then you get all that data of all the places they went before they came, right? And so it's really, really useful information for you to understand where do they go? What is the most common customer journey in Q4 for my audience, right? And that can be really useful, not just planning for the next Q4, but how you engage your non-Q4 audience throughout the rest of the year as well. And, and I think that actually segues really, really nicely into the second piece here, which is mapping the customer journey as they move through your site. So there's a million different UX mapping platforms out there, Hotjar and the like, that are able to do heat maps and be able to map out and track the user journey as they interface with your site. Either you can set it up with GTM if you're a masochist and you oh are boy. able to get all those different <laughs> events built through. I've seen people try and do it. I would just get an off-the-shelf software. But you want to be looking through and tracking how people are moving through your site. Because again, you have the largest sample size that you're probably going to have. And being able to track and analyze your product detail page experience, landing page experience from your advertisements, and overall site navigation, improving your site and building your site is a lot of people get scared of it because it tends to be a very large undertaking. But small optimizations over time through your site about how things are organized into different collections, how people navigate through the site, small changes can have a huge impact. And the higher your conversion rate on your site, it is a free multiplier for whatever advertising you're doing. Because at the end of the day, your advertising, your paid media is not driving the conversion. The site is driving the conversion. The advertising is driving traffic to the site. You can have the best, most down-to-earth advertising possible, like dialed in, directing like qualified 
customers who are in market for your specific product. But if they cannot navigate through your site, mm -hmm. all of that is moot. Right. So the more that you can optimize your site and improve the conversion rate, and conversion rate optimization is a large school, and something we can definitely probably break into yeah. in more depth in a future episode. But right now, what you can do is start to analyze the small idiosyncrasies in the past that your users are taking through your site and figure out where you can make notes and where you can optimize in the future. Because that is going to be a large sample size that can help train or give data for small improvements that can end up having a big impact as they stack up. I would say if you're ready for it, if you can do it and you have the, the team expertise to be able to do this internally, or if you can engage some a consultant or something to help you with this, Q4 is an incredible time to do testing. Data testing and analysis is only as good as the sample size, and you're going to get a huge sample size in Q4 in a, in a relatively short period of time. So if, let's say you go through your website, or maybe you're using site data from the first three quarters of the year. You know, you're seeing evidence that there's a step in your checkout process that's, that's causing some drop-offs, right? Or maybe that the wording of, of some CTA is causing some confusion or whatever these hypotheses are. You can test them and should test them in Q4 with A-B testing because you're going to get a bunch of people in. Now, it may, if you make the right assumptions and you set up the right experiments and you test the right things, that B variant of your test, if they win at a higher rate, you can prove your hypothesis. Like, yeah, that, I was right. Like this step in my checkout process is making people not do it. Or whenever I put the language of my return policy up in front of them, that tends to slow down the checkout process. Maybe I should do that after the checkout or something, or maybe I should have it on a different part of the site. Whatever that stuff is, you'll get those learnings a lot faster with a critical mass of actual visitors and data that can show you what's working and what's not. One thing e-commerce sites have a problem with a lot of times is they want to A-B test something. They run an A-B test for a month. They only got 80 checkouts in that month, that's not really a, enough data to make an assumption on what worked and what didn't, especially if the variant test was really close, right? So this is what conversion rate optimization is about. Having a discerning eye as you go through your checkout, you know, in general, there are some general rules you want to follow, the least amount of clicks possible, obviously, right? You want to be very clear with your pricing, be very clear with your policies, Basically, every time somebody clicks a button, they should know exactly what's going to happen next or to a very, very high degree of certainty what's going to happen next in your conversion path, right? And if you go through, do this. Just have, have some of your friends, have colleagues in a different industry, have your family members go through a checkout, give them a gift card to your store and ask, ask them to go and shop and buy something and then have them let you know. I was a little bit confused in this part. I wasn't sure what was going to happen, right? Or this part, you know, I don't I don't know what you're trying to do with this little part, like that stuff. Then you can test it. Now you have evidence of like, okay, what kind of test can I set up to prove out which way is working better? And Q4 is a great time to be doing that. And to clarify that as well, like I would advise against making major changes. These are small optimizations and changes, things that are low risk to cause, not saying is anything like swapping out your e-commerce platform or making major changes. But what we are talking about is small tweaks and modifications to the site that can be implemented and A-B tested. I might also shy away from actually doing A-B testing on your, your prime days. I would probably try and use that into more into that kind of lead up and ramp up period where you're still yeah. gaining traffic, you're still gaining conversions, mm -hmm. but you are not directly at your Black Friday day because that is going yeah. to skew your data. I'll give you one example that I did myself. I, I worked at an e-commerce shop that was in the beauty industry. They sold nail polish and makeup and you know, this kind of stuff. And what we ended up doing was they had a post-checkout 
survey that was very much like a four option type of survey, right? And I had a hunch that popping that survey, because what they were doing was as soon as you hit checkout, they would pop that up right then and have you try to do the survey before they showed a confirmation page, before they showed anything like that about your orders confirmed, here's your shipping details. They popped that up. Nobody was filling that out. And I had a, a hypothesis that form that pops up before they get their order confirmation. There's just like a moment of anxiety when you hit checkout on e-commerce shop of like, is this going to work? Right. And you want instant confirmation that, Hey, we received your order. It's in process. Here's the shipping detail. Here's a link to track it once we actually do ship it, right? Like they want that stuff. And so what I did was I just said, let's pop up the confirmation first. Once they put a button on there to say accept, or I can't remember what we did. And then after that, the form showed up. And we did test that in Black Friday because it wasn't a conversion thing. This was a post-conversion. And what ended up happening is we got, I think, 50% more people actually interacting with that form. And we actually got the information that we were looking for because we were able to test it in a short amount of time with a big influx of traffic, essentially. And the last big thing that you should be looking at when you're looking through your, your Black Friday and your Q4 data is product data. And what I mean by that is that Marketing nowadays runs off of segmentation. What product lines are you putting your budget behind? What specific products are you pushing for the bids? And what products are you pulling back? Because if you're just blasting out your entire product catalog without necessarily segmenting and making adjustments to the bidding strategies and the budgeting behind all those products, you are not going to be profitable. Marketing and advertising is a game of optimization. So when we're looking at products, and this is one of the, probably I would say where we put the majority of our time during the year and where we kind of try and take the majority of our learnings from Q4 is to look at the data on a product by product level and see where the trends are lying. Are there products that we didn't necessarily put a heavy promotion on that are still selling like hotcakes? And those are products that we want to start pushing in during the regular year. Those are the products that we want to start putting the money behind or even do the opposite of that and pull advertising back. Because if ROAS is not your primary concern and efficiency is not your primary concern and you are looking to try and clear out warehouse space, one of the things that we've actually seen that can work is to pull advertising spend back from products that are able to perform well enough on their own through organic or through word of mouth. Definitely don't drop off altogether. Being able to pull them back and let them coast on organic alone or let them coast on organic and light paid media spend. Or just let it split the difference and do like this product performs like gangbusters on organic social and an organic search. I don't need to promote it. What I need to do is remarket it. Once people look at it, they may not buy it that first time, but some remarketing dollars could get them to come back and buy it later. So test that out for sure. A lot of times when you're starting out, you can go a little bit more into a full-fledged approach because you're trying to build up brand awareness. You're trying to get products in hands. As your product stack evolves, and again, this is why these episodes are always a little bit tough because it's a different solution for every customer. Nobody yeah. comes in with this one cookie cutter solution. I, it would make my life so much easier if it was, but it never ends up being that way, is that there is an individualized advertising strategy for every brand out there. Now, for products that are performing really, really well, during down seasons, probably not during Q4, but to pull Q4 learnings to apply during like Q1 and Q2 of the next year, would be to kind of do some experimenting with how much money you actually need to propel your products for. Do you want to double down and continually push your advertising investment because it is 
paramount to start moving these things at a rapid clip? Or are you able to kind of take your foot off the gas and start pushing up your lower performing products that might not have the same return? They might not have the same ROAS, kind of going back to the ROAS trap from our, our earlier episodes, but you're moving slower performing products out of the warehouse. So you're not taking up warehouse space and you're starting to build up that same momentum that you did for your fast moving products, but doing it for your lower performing products. And this is something that it is a bit of a gambit because you Mm -hmm. are going to be sacrificing your efficiency. The fastest way to keep your efficiency and your return on investment up with your advertising and keep your margins intact is to have your fastest moving products moving even faster with paid advertising. However, if you have the margin and if you have the room in your efficiency targets, what you can do is you can start relaxing those ROAS targets. Say, you don't want to hit a five, we want to hit a two, but we want to be focusing on these products that we need to start building momentum for. And over time, if it's a good product and if you're able to get them moving, over time, it will follow the same trajectory as your higher performing products, where all of a sudden, more people have it in the hands, you're getting more reviews. You're getting more organic performance, you're getting more awareness, and you're continually building that up. And then you move on to the next low set of performing products. So this is all data that you can analyze from Q4. Because normally the strategy for Q4 is blast everything. Because you are trying to hit volume. Especially this year, you're trying to hit volume. So for Q4, keep your foot on the gas. Keep basically take whatever strategy that has been working through the year and pour more gas on that fire. But as you start moving, especially if you're a very seasonal brand that has high and low seasons, start trying to look at what are your products that could perform without a sale next time. You know, if you have products that didn't necessarily get promoted, maybe don't promote them next time because if they're able to survive on their own, that's just giving away free margin. So this is where you want to really go through on almost like depending on how many SKUs you have either a SKU by SKU level or a cohort by cohort level by some sort of product type or product category that you have within your data and to critically analyze where is your money going, what products in your stack require what sort of advertising. And it's tough because I hate having to speak in that kind of vagary, but it is going to be a different formula for every brand. And if you're having trouble figuring that out, Give us a call because this is kind of our bread and butter. Shameless plug right here. Let, let, it's a shameless yep. <laughs> plug, but it is genuinely, in my opinion, one of the hardest things to master. It is what we do, and it's difficult to explain, and I know that, being the guy responsible for explaining it to the market as the marketing director here. But I will say from a data perspective, both product data and your first-party data, there should be review periods that you set up, right? You should review the performance directly after Q4, right? So in January, you should be looking at what is the data saying right now and then go three months out, right? So just do it quarterly would be probably the way I would do it. And then in the second quarter, now you're not reviewing that same data that you did in January. Now you're reviewing... What did the people who converted during Q4 in my ecosystem and I continued to market to, to try to bring back to buy more things, how did they perform? How did that happen? And those are two different conversations and you should have a strategy on how you may want to tweak that for the next Q4 that you're coming up that will feel like it's coming up 
in no time flat by the time you start doing this analysis and start thinking about what you want to do next. But just to kind of recap a little bit, I mean, there's that first party data, right? Which is going to be like your email list, your lookalike audiences. Uh, and if you're using DSP, you can really boost what kind of first party data you're collecting and what kind of analysis you can do. There's your site performance, right? Which includes your conversion rates, right? Conversion rate optimization. How easy is it to check out? Are you making it as smooth as possible? User experience is another big part of that as well. And then the product data, what we just talked about, right? So if you're thinking about those things, you're going to have a pretty good picture of how you performed, how you can do it better next time, and how you can keep tweaking with these experimentations throughout the year. Absolutely. And then finally is to analyze your product data and to go through and actually analyze the trends and figure out what you want your product segmentation strategy to be for the next year. And I think just to kind of put a bow on things is... Every year, Q4 continues to grow. Every year, it continues to outperform the last. And part of that is definitely due to customer demand. But another half of that is that brands continually double down and learn from their mistakes and learn from their successes and continually put together a better formula. And your brand should be no exception. You should be taking everything in your advertising history as a learning experience, but absolutely Q4. If it's a success, it's fantastic because you have revenue and you have a treasure trove of data on what to do better next year. If it's a failure, that is all the more reason to go back, look through, and start looking for the holes of where to improve. And that is how you succeed in the long term, is to continuously learn. One way I think about it, Nevin, is one year in e-commerce is like going to a a year of college, right? You're going to get some gen ed in. You're going to learn different things. You're going to find some stuff you didn't realize. Q4, though, is like an intensive expert level course. Oh, oh, baby, it's going to get just flooded. You're going to get every opportunity to learn. It's up to you whether you do it or not, right? The best teachers in the world can't make you learn. You have to want to learn. Part of this is the desire to want to do this, and it's going to take work. It's going to take a lot of long nights staring at spreadsheets and manipulating numbers and making dashboards and all kinds of stuff. But at the end of the day, this is how it goes, right? The reason that the brands are are performing so well in Q4 is because they're getting better and better at planning and optimizing for Q4. And if you don't do that, you're going to get left behind. And we don't want that. We don't ever want that, especially not for the weekenders. If you're still here, you're a weekender and we love you. I'm going to, I'm going to pour my heart out. We love you. You stay to the end and that's amazing. I do want to thank you for sticking around. This was definitely a little bit of a twisty and turny one, but definitely a little bit of rambles and tangents there. But I think at the end, we want to try and get as much education as possible to try and get people to learn and to really knock it out of the park and hit home runs on their Black Friday season. So Shout out to, I can't believe I'm calling it this, shout out to the Weekenders. Yeah, baby, there we go. Get Nevin on board. Until next time, I'm Nevin Zavell. And I'm Mike Martis. Have a good weekend. And we'll catch you next Friday.